Three of the most important things we have are relationships, time, and money. One of the greatest challenges with these things are that they're limited. So we better be wise. But they're not really ours. We're not owners, just stewards. What we've been given belongs to someone else, the God of the universe. Since he's the infinite source, really, our relationships, time, and money are unlimited. So we better be generous. If everything we have is limited, how do we live wisely? If everything we have is unlimited, how do we live generously? Join Vintage Church for this four-week series to learn the secret. I want you to take your hands, and I want you to put them out in front of you, just like this. I want you to hold your hands out like this, and I want you to look at your hands, and I want you to see your hands as they are open in front of you. And then I want you to do this. I want you to take your hands, and I want you to close your hands. I want you to close them in tight fists, where you know you got them closed tight enough that you feel the blood pumping. You know what I'm talking about? And then what I want you to do is I want you to turn to the person on your right or the person on your left, and I want you to extend those tight, closed grips toward those people. Very welcoming, right? I want you to notice something. When your hands are closed tightly, there is absolutely nothing that you are able to give the person to your right, or to your left. This is the absolute opposite of what generosity should look like. There's no way with closed fists to be able to be generous and give to someone else, let alone give back to God. We have spent the last three weeks looking at this series called Unlimited and talking about the idea of stewardship. I've described stewardship to you like this. A steward is someone who's been entrusted with someone else's stuff for the benefit, not of the steward, but of the owner, the one who owns the stuff. And in week one of this series, what we talked about is we laid this foundation to in, in order to understand stewardship, you have to begin with a full and right understanding of first who God is. God is the creator, therefore he is the owner. We talked about that and then we talked about a full and right understanding of who we are. We are not the creator, we are the what? created. And because we are the created, we are not the owner, but we are the steward. God has entrusted us with his resources to take them and steward them, not own them, for God's good and benefit, not our own good and benefit. And we are going to be wrapping up this series today talking about the thing that we all have to steward. And that is our favorite thing called money. 
Some of you are like, oh, I came, this is my first Sunday, and I came to the church when they're talking about money. What in the world have I gotten into, right? Or some of you are like, oh, man, I was just balancing my checkbook last night. I don't want to talk about money. But the reality is we all deal with money. We all have resources, whether we have a little bit of it or we have a lot of it or we have just enough of it. And the other reality about money and resources is that the Bible talks about it all the time. Not to suggest that money is the most important thing, but to simply suggest that money is a reality that you and I, as human beings, created beings, stewards, have to know how to manage. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. If you have a Bible, open it up to the New Testament. We're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and we're going to be looking at that together. Before we do that, I want to give you kind of the big idea that we're going to be talking about today. When we steward money, we give generously. Everybody say generously. generously. We give willingly. Everybody say willingly. willingly. And we give cheerfully. Everybody say cheerfully. We give generously, willingly, and cheerfully from God to others for God. When we steward money, we give generously, willingly, cheerfully from God to others for God. Now, before we read 2 Corinthians, I want to just give you a little bit of context to this letter that I think will put things in perspective. First, you're going to see a map. There's two places on this map that are really important for today's message. Number one is Macedonia, and that is to the left, upper left of this map. That's a region of Greece. When Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, he was in Macedonia. And then if you look just south of that in this region called Achaia, you will see a city called Corinth. And that is who Paul was writing to. There was a church there in Corinth. Paul was writing this letter. Now, in order to understand what's going on, there's a complicated relationship that Paul has with the Corinthians. This is a wealthy congregation. They tend to be a powerful people group. And there's some conflict that Paul has had between this church and himself. One of the issues that Paul is addressing, particularly in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, is the issue of generosity. Why is he talking about that? Because at this point in time, this was during the reign of Emperor Claudius, somewhere kind of in the mid-first century, there was a famine in Judea. If you remember where Judea is, that's right where Jerusalem is, where Jesus did a lot of his ministry, where the first church was birthed. And so one of the things that Paul was responsible for, that he took upon himself, was wherever he went and wherever he planted a church in the Greco-Roman world, he took up offerings for the sake of the church in Jerusalem. In, in Paul's letters, he talks about it as the collection for the Jerusalem church. And so he's writing in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 to encourage the Corinthians to give back. One of the things that he does is he compares the Corinthians to the Macedonians. 
right? This is terrible advice if you're a parent, right? Don't compare your children. But Paul does this to spur on a little bit of generosity. So he says, listen, Corinthians, we know that you're very wealthy. We also know you haven't given a whole lot. Let me tell you about the Macedonians who are dirt poor and who have given a ton out of their poverty. All for the sake of inspiring the Corinthians to do what? Give more. So that's kind of some of the context of what's going on. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're just going to read verses 6 through 15. Here's what it says. The point is this, Paul says. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I think Paul answers for us in these few verses how we are to steward money. And the first thing that Paul tells us is what we talked about at the very beginning, that we should give generously, that we should give willingly, and that we should give cheerfully. Look at what he says again in verses 6 through 7. He says, the point is this. He's bringing up imagery that is found from Old Testament to New Testament about sowing and reaping. Remember, this is an agricultural society. Almost everyone is familiar with farming. And he says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And then in verse 7, each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what does it mean to be generous or give generously? You notice the, the phrase that Paul uses. He says, each one must decide in his heart. Do you know what that means? That means generosity is not a one-size-fits-all. That means that generosity is going to look different for each and every one of us in this room. It means that generosity is going to look different for every single Christian. In fact, I just shared with you the comparison that Paul's making between the Corinthians and the Macedonians. Look at the, the example that Paul gives about the Macedonians at the very beginning of this section in chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. 
He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. By the way, when he's talking about grace in this passage, more often than not, he's actually referring to money. He's referring to the gift of generosity. He says this in verse two, for in a severe test of affliction, does that sound encouraging? (laughs) No, no, no. Paul said the Macedonians are not in a good spot right now. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of what? Everybody say it. Joy. In affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme what? Poverty, not riches, have overflowed. You catch that word? Paul's being very strategic with his word. When you're in poverty, are you overflowing? No. But Paul is saying that in a severe test of affliction, in extreme poverty, they are overflowing. How does he end this section? In a wealth of generosity on their part. Paul's saying, listen, this isn't, this isn't rocket science. You guys have a lot. The Macedonians don't have much. What generosity looks like for the Macedonians is very different from what generosity looks like for you. Each one must decide in his own heart. Here's the point that I think Paul's trying to teach us. If you wait till you have money to be generous, you'll never be generous. Because generosity is not about the amount. Generosity is ultimately about the heart. Right? There's a reason that the Bible talks about money often. I told you this earlier. It's not about money. The Bible talks about money a lot because it's about what? The heart. The scriptures whether it's Jesus or Paul or uh, the writer of Proverbs, they understand that when we begin to talk about money, we begin to get at the heart of things. So it's not about, you know, if I get more money, I can be more generous. It's about what God has given me now, I need to be generous with. And you might think that small amount isn't being generous Well, when you compare it to other people, sure, maybe, but when you compare to what God wants you to give, it could be generous. Generosity simply means different things for different people. Each has decided in his own heart. Now, when we talk about this, one of the things that often comes up is this question, especially if you grew up in the church, what about tithing? What are we supposed to do with that? The word tithe means literally a tenth. It's an Old Testament principle. But if you go back and you study the Old Testament, one of the things that you are going to find is that the Israelites gave really more than a tenth. A tenth was just a portion. And so a lot of churches and a lot of Christians throughout history have carried over that idea of that our principle for giving to the local church should be a tenth, a tithe. But I think what Paul is getting at is something far greater than that. He is outlining for us a principle of generosity based on grace. Does God give us a tenth of his grace? The answer is no. He pours out his grace upon us. 
So I think for us as Christians that follow Jesus, it's a lot better and a lot easier for us to think about generosity in general, that what has God given us? God has given us everything. So the idea is that we don't give a tenth because it's not about equal giving. We're not talking about everybody giving the same, but it is about equal what? Sacrifice. That all of us, those followers of Jesus, we have been called to equally sacrifice. Is the sacrifice going to look the same? No. Because we all have differing levels of income. So the point is not about equal generosity or equal giving. It is about equal sacrifice. I thought about it like this this week as I was preparing for this. I go to the gym on a regular basis. Bratton Sports Performance, go find your coach, treat your body, you need to be healthy, right? And I bring my kids with me. Now that's just funny. If you want a good laugh, just come to the gym and don't watch me, watch my kids. And one of the things that I love about uh, the gym is how I have my own program based on what I'm trying to do and based on my abilities, and my kids have their own program based on their abilities as well. Could you imagine my children trying to do the program that I do? No, they would be crushed, right, under the weight not trying to say I'm strong or anything. I'm just, I'm stronger than a nine-year-old and 12-year-old. That's all I'm saying, okay? But also vice versa. Could you imagine me, a grown adult, trying to do their program, a nine and a 12-year-old's program? I mean, it would be easy. Outside of just the regular heat, I wouldn't break a sweat. There wouldn't be any benefit, really, for me to do their program. But here's the thing. My program for me, it's difficult. Their program for them, it's difficult. Do you understand? Do you see that, that the difficulty of the program, it's proportionate to their age and their strength. And that is what Paul is saying about generosity. Our generosity is proportionate to what God has blessed us with. So that is generosity that is what it means to give generously. What about willingly? Paul tells us that generosity should not be done reluctantly or under compulsion. I shouldn't come up here and say, I need all of you to give X right now. Because I would be making you do that. And Paul says, this isn't, this isn't about that. This is about you giving willingly and ably. In his book, The Treasure Principle, very small book, very powerful book on generosity, Randy Alcorn says this, as surely as the compass needle follows north, your heart will follow your treasure. Money leads, hearts follow. That is what I think it means to give willingly. Where is your heart leading you? If your heart is leading towards generosity, that means you are wanting to be generous. So we give generously, we give willingly, but Paul also says, what about cheerfully? And I think the point here really gets at who God wants us to be. God cares about who we are. He wants us to be like him. 
Is God a cheerful giver? He is. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus describes how God is a cheerful giver. Look at what he says. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he says, are you not more of value than those? Then he says in verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So what Paul is getting at is God gladly and willingly provides the resources that you and I need. He does it cheerfully. And the reason he's called us to be cheerful givers is so that we won't give reluctantly. And as we give, we will begin to become like who? Like him. So we are to give generously, willingly, cheerfully. But the only reason that we can be generous is number two, because we give from God. Look at verses eight through 11. It says, God is able to make all grace. Everybody say grace. grace. Notice that word. He's able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, he's distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seeds for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Simply put, Paul is saying this, generosity comes from grace. This goes back to what we talked about in week one, that as creator, God is owner. And so everything that we receive as the created and the steward is simply what? It's a gift. And what's another word for gift? Grace. So the generosity that we are able to give back comes from who? God, because it is a gift of grace. Look at the words that Paul uses in these few verses. Five times in one verse, he uses the word all or every. In the Greek language, all and every are the same word. Five times, simply referring to, as Paul is saying, listen, in all situations, at all times, with all needs, God is giving and extending his grace that you may abound in all good works. He's saying, I'm giving you all of this for your good works that I have created for you. And he doesn't just say that, listen, I'm giving you just enough grace. You know, with my kids, it's like, I'm just giving them just enough. Too much, right? That's a bad thing. God is saying, no, 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 no. I am giving you all of this. And then he says that you would abound, that it would overflow, that you would be enriched. That word has this connotation of like, listen, after you've used what I've given you, guess what? There are leftovers. That's how generous God is with his grace. And so we don't forget this. Paul even connects generosity to the gospel. 
In chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, he says this. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, in these two chapters, when Paul uses grace, what is he referring to? Generosity. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He's saying, listen, all of our generosity comes from grace. And by the way, if you've forgotten what grace looks like, it looks like this. Jesus, who is the second person of the Trinity, God himself, who was rich, meaning he was in heaven with God, didn't have to come down, but made a conscious decision to descend to, from heaven to earth and become human, being what? Poor. Not just the fact that he left heaven and came here, but then he even lived as a poor person. And he did all of that to die on the cross for the sins of humanity, my sins, your sins. And then he rose from the grave. And in dying and rising, he became rich to poor. And we, although we are poor, meaning in our sins, because of Jesus, we become what? Rich, meaning we receive God's grace. We receive his life. We receive his goodness. We receive all that he is. Paul is saying, listen, that is what our generosity is bound up in. That's what it means to be generous. That's why I said earlier that generosity is not about a tenth. It's not about a tithe. It's about who? Jesus. How much did Jesus give? All of it. Paul says that's what generosity looks like. I find this statistic interesting. According to Barna Research, 65% of practicing Christians have directly experienced generosity, nearly 20% higher than just the average U.S. adult. 65% have experienced generosity. And what the study suggests is, number one, that Christians have a greater chance of experiencing generosity. And number two, Christians may be more apt to notice generosity in their own lives. I wonder why. Because all of the Christian life is about what? Grace. And grace is what? Generosity. It reminds me of what we've been talking about that Randy Alcorn says in his book, The Treasure Principle, God owns everything. I'm simply his money manager. If God owns everything, then everything is a gift because it is grace. And if everything is a gift and everything is grace, then our generosity flows from his generosity. The reason that you and I are able to be generous is because God has been generous with us first. So we give generously, willingly, cheerfully from God, but the point in being enriched and receiving that grace is number three, to give to others. I want to go back and I want to read these verses again to you, verses 12 through 15. Paul says this, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. Notice what Paul is saying there. This is what this ministry is doing, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. We're going to come back to that in a moment. 
By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. The church is meant to extend the grace. So generosity flows from grace The church is given grace, and the point of of the church, Vintage Church or any other church, is to take that grace, take that generosity, and extend it outward. We're meant to be generous and to give it away. Paul uses some interesting language here. The word ministry, that literally refers to the idea of a liturgy or an order of service or a priestly service, and he's saying, priestly work of the church because the church are priests of God. And then he uses the word supplying, that God is supplying or that the church is supplying the needs of the saints, literally filling up what is lacking. That when you give to other people, you're filling up this need where they lack. And then do you notice that Paul ties generosity to the gospel? He is saying that when you give, your submission to generosity comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ, meaning because you know that Jesus was rich and became poor because you were poor, that you would become rich, your generosity flows from that reality, from the very gospel that you confess that Jesus died for you and rose for you and extends his grace to you, your generosity flows from that kind of grace. The church is meant to extend grace. St. Basil the Great, he was a church father in the mid-300s. So, you know, a few decades ago. He wrote this in one of his sermons. He says, for if we all took only what was necessary to satisfy our own needs, giving to to the rest those who lack, no one would be rich. No one would be poor, and no one would be in need. In fact, St. Basil Basil went so far to say this, that a lack of generosity was breaking the commandments. And the reason that he said that is because he understood the reality that God is the creator, therefore God is the owner. And when we're not generous, what it means is we're taking the resources that has been given to us to give to others and we're stealing from God. And so St. Basil would make this argument that I just read to say, listen, whatever God has given you, he's actually given it to you, not only for your needs, but when you begin to see needs around you to give it away. That's what generosity looks like. Greed, I think, is like an evil spell. That when you are greedy, you are under an evil spell, and the only way to break the curse of that spell is to begin to give. So how do we give? This could be a sermon, I think, in and of itself, but I want to just give you four basic points that I think are practical application about generosity. Number one, you have to begin giving. 
And you don't wait for all the other steps. You begin giving. You begin practicing generosity. Even if it's just a dollar that you can give, you start to give. You begin to make a habit out of generosity. So after you begin to give, then you begin to make a plan. Another way to talk about making a plan is making a budget. I know some of you are like, what's that? I've never done that before. That was supposed to be funny, by the way. Sorry. Maybe that was like, ooh, that does hurt. But you're not going to be able to be generous without a plan. So you have to begin to look at what's coming in and what's going out and where am I able to cut back and remove things so I can be more generous. And listen, if you've never planned generosity, then chances are there's absolutely no room in your budget to be able to do so. So after you make a plan, number three, you have to create margin. This is where you have to cut expenses. You have to pay off debt. You have to begin to save. Maybe some of you are like, listen, I'm going to have to get another job if I'm going to get out of debt in order to be generous. But the only way to live generously is to cut and create margin or simply put to live not above, not at, but below your what? Means. It's one of the only ways that you're going to be able to be generous. And then lastly, you begin to give regularly. Generosity is not about, oh, there's a need that I see and I want to give to it. Yes, that's great. But in order to become a generous person, generosity has to become a habit. And the only way that generosity becomes a habit is what? If you do it regularly and consistently. That's why at Vintage, one of the things we talk about is making your giving recurring, where you give bi-weekly, or you give weekly, or you give monthly, because you are making it a habit to set aside a portion of your income to give back to the need that you see around you. That's how we begin to give. But lastly, and I think this is maybe the part that we don't talk about enough with generosity, we give for God. I think it's interesting what Paul says. I want to go back again to verses 12 through 15 and highlight a different part of what he says. He says, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to who? God. It's overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify who? God. Because of your submission that comes from your confession. Verse 14, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to who? God. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Our generosity to others honors God. What Paul is getting at here with the Corinthians is he saying, listen, for the Macedonians and for you, Corinthians, when you give, it is actually causing other people to glorify God. Not you. It's not, it's not causing other people to say, wow, look at the Corinthians. They're doing something incredible. Instead, it's saying, look, God, look at how God has provided for us. And in, actual, in actuality, in the ancient culture, there was this idea of patronage and reciprocity where there would be a patron, someone who basically takes care of needs and supplies the needs of a family. 
And then there would be someone who was called the benefactor, who would be the recipient of those gifts. And the patron was basically meant to be given honor and glory for being a patron, for providing for these opportunities. And what Paul is saying is the Corinthians have this mixed up. The Corinthians think that they're the patron. That because they're supplying the needs of those around them and the churches that are poor, they think that they're going to get the praise from the people for their generosity. And God says, no, 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 you've got this all wrong. You're not the creator. Therefore, you're not the owner. Therefore, you're not the what? Patron. God is the creator. God is the owner. Therefore, God is the what? The patron. See, when we give to other people, what other people are reminded of is that God is using us to supply their needs. So it's not us who receives the glory and the honor and the praise for the act of generosity. It is God. One commentator says it like this. Giving to others becomes a kind of thank offering to God that multiplies itself. We thank God for what we've received and others thank God for what they have received from us. I think the point is this. God doesn't want your money. He wants your worship. Ultimately, God wants you. And he just knows that the way sometimes to you is through your what? Your money. But the ultimate desire of God is he wants to be in relationship with us. He wants us to worship him and he wants us to take the gifts that he's given us and extend them out to other people. That's what God wants. As I reflected on this message, I thought about just the ways in which Vintage Church has been generous over the years. And I asked Pastor Brick, I said, just give me, give me some like rough numbers of our generosity over the last several years. And I want to just share with you some of the ways that we have been generous as a collective church. In 2020, during the height of the pandemic, we gave Second Harvest Food Bank $26,000. In 2021, we started uh, Fill the Fridge, I don't know if you remember us starting that. This September will actually be two years that we've done Fill the Fridge every month. And so in, in 2021, we gave out collectively $26,000 to our community. Benevolence was $4,800, just taking care of people's needs. And then we invested $15,000 in Fill the Fridge. In 2022, that number increased. We gave $39,000 out whether it was through benevolence or fill the fridge or different events that we were doing. And then in this year, we have already given $18,000. One of the last things that we did for our community is that many of you, we talked about it and some of you gave to this. We sponsored several families for back to school. 
giving them money for school supplies and uniforms. We gave almost $1,000 to that. You as a church have allowed us to be generous. It's to take in what we receive and give back out to our community so that they can experience the grace that Jesus has extended to us. Earlier, I told you to hold your hands out in front of you. And I told you to grasp your hands and close them and make sure you're not able to give a thing away. I want you to hold your hands out again. And I don't necessarily want you to go to your right or to your left. I just want you to hold them out in front of you. And I want you to recognize something. That when you have your hands extended out in front of you, this is not just a posture of generosity, but it's a posture of receiving. When your hands are closed in fists, you can't receive anything. I know that inherently we think what this does is it protects the things that we have but it actually closes us off to what God wants to do. Instead, God wants us to stand before him, arms out, hands open. And in assuming this posture, what we are able to do is we are able to receive the grace that God is extending to us. And we are able to make it ours. And in receiving that grace with open hands, we are then able to turn to the people on our left and the people on our right and extend that grace to them. That's what generosity looks like. When we steward money, we give generously, willingly, and cheerfully from God to others for God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you, God, for every single gift you provide. You truly are a generous father. And Father, I pray now, as we respond, Father, our hands would be open to receive and give back. And so help us, Father, to become more generous because you've been so generous to us. We love you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you next week.